0: Welcome to Improper Mimi where we talk about empowering women at home work or play. This episode is a little different format than what we usually do. After the George Floyd murder, um, a lot of companies started talking about equality and justice for black lives. And it wasn't just companies that were talking about it. We also talked about it in our homes with our family and our friends. So this episode is a multi-generational book club with my daughter and I and some of our close friends and family members. Um, and we talked about Austin Channing Brown's book *I'm Still Here: Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness*. We met a couple of weeks, you know, took our time reading the book going through, you know, Austin's experiences and how that related to us growing up in different schools and churches and um, communities and how the book left us feeling and kind of where we stand with hope. So I do hope that you all enjoy it and be sure to send me a DM, send me a message, give me some feedback. Let me know what else you'd like to hear from Improper Mimi. I was really excited to read this book, um, Black Dignity in a World of Whiteness, with my daughter and her friends and my cousin and my friends, so that we really got to take a look and dig into it. It's been really enjoyable, so now that we had a moment to chat about it, well, actually, now that we've all finished the book, we decided to <laughs> sit down and chat about it. So if everyone could just introduce yourselves, maybe say how you know me, Mimi Jacks, the host of Improper Mimi, then, uh, then we'll get started. So who wants to go
1: first? Okay, well, hi, I'm Denisha. I know Mimi because, you know, over 20 years ago, I popped out of her womb, so that's <laughs> <how>. <laughs> what were you doing there? Oh my god! No. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened, and I'm a working male adult. Yay! That's it. That's all you asked for, really. <laughs> yes,
0: you're you're here, present, adulting. You know, like a like a
1: good girl. Oh, well, yeah, because. And on my, on my like, church, like, on my church, like, connection form, that's one of the things where they say, are you a college student, are you a working young adult, or are you a, uh, like, graduate student young adult? So they, like, make that distinction. So I'm <laughs> a working young adult.
2: There you go. Yes. Thank God.
3: <laughs> All right, I'll go next because I know you through Janisha. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I'm Emily. Um, Denisha and I met in college when we went on an abroad program together. Um, And I am also a working young adult. Woohoo!
2: Well, I'm Ava. I'm cousin to Mimi Jax um, and cousin to Denisha. Um, And I am currently a college student at Ohio University.
4: Oh, hi, yo. Oh, yes. Okay. Hi, I'm old I'm Oldemarian. I am Mimi's friend from business school, work, New York City, Boston, a lot uncommon. And I don't have a kid, but if I had a kid, I would like it to be like Denisha. Shout out to <laughs> me. <wait> to this <laughs> <door>. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. No, I really do. I really. um And I am an adult, like <laughs> <I'm> all,
2: all <laughs> adult.
4: And now, the whole me is a whole adult that has been working for many years. Actually, since Denisha was born for over 20 years. Um, and we're still here. I like the book because it said I'm still here I say we all of us are still here, despite attempts to get with many things. So.
1: So, Ava, you finished the book. How'd you like
2: it? Yeah, I finished the book. I don't know how I feel about the ending, though, because, I don't know, I didn't like the her term of uses of, like, the hopefulness. I, I didn't really understand it that much and why she would, like, put that at the end of, like, when she was like, you know, some people may not ever read this book and my mom would only be the only one to read it, which, like, I can understand, like, being able to publish a book and being able to publish your story is hard about, you know, fighting racial injustice um, in the church and in school and work. But most of it was also around, like, Christianity and being in the church, um, which is kind of interesting of, like, her approach on that overall in the book. But I was just thinking more of, like, she was going to be, like, gung-ho, like, hoorah, like, you know, more like call like a more of a call to action
3: I think I I I agree with you guys I think I felt like the ending although I feel like she was being critical of racial reconciliation and even of hope at the end like I I did feel like it left even though she was being critical it still left on a note of like hope or like this like it I I, would I agree Ava like I wish that it had ended in a more like fiery way, I think. And I wonder if like she had ended with the chapter on creative anger, if that would have kind of like a different taste because I, one thing that I really, I mean, I really liked that chapter and I thought that there was hope in her finding that her anger wasn't going to destroy her, but that it could be used creatively to bring change and like freedom. And then she ended with, that image of Jesus, like in the temple. And I thought that was, that was like really effective and kind of, yeah, like more of a call to action, I guess, that and maybe like more what we were looking for, expecting. Yeah. So you think the ending
0: of the book should have been more of a call to action instead of mm-hmm. like
3: a
1: reflection? I think for me, um, like, I feel like I, I feel like I like the end. and it's like i think i did like it because it's not like a call to action um because i feel like so many books uh, with like black authors like they always like end up being like and here's what you should do here's what we should do but Mm -hmm. then she kind of ended it with like and and i and i also like you know how emily like the creative anger chapter like those chapters like, come out a very natural progression of she's finding herself, she's finding out this, that her anger won't destroy her, she's realizing that reconciliation like, with the church is hard and not perfect, and then you're kind of ending with, like, both the thought of, like, I have to stay hopeful, but it's depressing AF out here, you know, (laughs) and it's, like, walking away with that kind of thought, which is like, I have to stay hopeful, but it's still depressing mm. but for me. And I think, I don't know if it makes a difference too, because I was listening to it. Um, I'm listening to the audiobook being read by her. So it feels much more of like, I'm in a talk and she's like telling me her story. Um, and then, so when it gets to the end, like, I guess since I'm not reading it, it doesn't feel like it falls flat. It just feels like, you know, the natural end of a talk Where, you know, she's not Michelle Obama saying, like, when they go low, people go high. You know, it's like just the end of a talk where I would be like, thank you. Like, I feel like you. And now it's time for me to leave. You know, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys feel that there is hope? Like, do you? I mean, this is, it has been... Inspiring, I must say, like, I think I've said it before. It did feel really different. It does feel kind of really hopeful, even hearing from like, you know, and even on this, you know, call, we've got different generations, you know, technically we've got our, whatever, what am I? Gen X and then millennial. And, um,
2: I think I'm Gen Z. We got that X, Y, Z,
0: but to see how my parents you know, lived through the civil rights, me, I didn't really go through the busing in Boston, but I did go to, um, I was bused out to schools in the suburbs, you know, as part of a medical Didn't you
1: guys miss it? Like y'all moved to Boston just like a few years after. Yeah, it really was
0: just like a few years, like five to six years after there's this whole national uproar about busting you know black people to go to white schools in boston you know Um, Mm -hmm. so man and y'all
1: still came
2: here (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: i never really even heard of massachusetts before we just upped and moved there so i'm like where are we going going?" um but yeah and then to see and hear you guys talk about your education your experiences like it is hopeful i mean Yeah, and change doesn't come overnight. It definitely it. it, And at first, I think grandma was talking, you know, like, oh, we didn't do enough like when it was their time during civil rights, because we're going through it now. But in actuality, they set the groundwork for us and hopefully we're setting the groundwork for the next, you know, generation to come. every generation has their their job to do and it's not going to be the same job and hopefully we're building upon it you know to make a difference um so i guess all that to say you know i do think there's hope it is a lot of work there's lots of different ways to go about it not everyone is protesting in the streets you know we're using our minds we're sharing knowledge you know we're talking to our friends and family but um what do, you, do you guys think that you feel hopeful or what can we do to instill hope in
1: people? I think I feel hopeful. Then um, I think also part of that hope is just because I feel like I have to be really realistic in my mind about how fast change is gonna come. Because like, I have to think about it as like, like slavery, okay, to be honest, this is a thought that I had listening to a podcast where they said this, but basically it was like, it like took hundreds of years to institute slavery. Like slavery, like just wasn't like they woke up and they were gonna like black people are bonitas, you know, like someone probably did wake up thinking that one day, but then it took, takes years to like, like put it into place so much so that everyone else has that thought too. So it's like, it literally took hundreds of years for this like for all the systematic oppressions to be so deep rooted and so it's going to unfortunately it probably is going to take hundreds of years to undo it and then additional years after for people to just live with the fact of what they've just undone and so like with me knowing that as like a oh, this is like a long-term thing, I feel like I have to find like small wins that give me hope, which is like, like just even like seeing, so I've been at my church for like, oh my God, probably like <laughs> six, seven years, who knows? But it's like even just seeing how my church has gone through like such a change since the whole time I've been there, like it literally feels, sometimes it feels like snail, snail mail type of change. But then it's like when you look back and like you've seen like what's actually happening, what changes being made and how people's hearts are being changed. And I think sometimes when I read the Bible too, it's like a good reminder that like someone's heart is not going to just like change in a day. Like it takes time to change their hearts and their hearts to change their actions, to change like their processes, to make them very hyper aware of what they're doing. So I do feel hopeful. Like maybe I spend like 70% of the time being like, This person seems fake. Their Instagram post seems fake. They don't actually seem like they care. I don't see them doing anything. But then you spend the other 30% being like, oh, this person who still seems a little fake, like they're doing a little more than they did before. They're learning a little more. It might not be like at the speed of light, but nothing is learned at like the speed of light. So then, especially for people who are like just opening their eyes to this for like the first time, unfortunately. But fortunately, it's like, it takes time. It's like, you know, when you think of people who go through, like, physical therapy, like, they, it could take them, like, five years to recover, like, the feeling in their legs or toes or whatever. So I think, for me, I am hopeful. Um, and then for me, I feel also very, like, realistic, which is kind of also sometimes to white people, like, kind of how she was saying, like, oh, like, you know, white people feel like, oh, like, we did it. Like, we've reached reconciliation. Like, it's like people who... The people who, like, are not being oppressed by the system, they might feel like they did one thing, and they're like, oh, we did it, it's done. But it's a consistent thing where, like, we have to keep doing it, keep deconstructing things until we finally get to that point where, like, we've unearthed these, like, super deep, systematic, like, oppressions, which, like, yeah. So, I don't know, dude. The internet makes me hopeful.
2: <laughs> it reminds me of, like, when I took this uh politics of law class in fall semester and we were talking about how like you know people have this false um representation of the law that like once like racial injustice like laws are put in place you know like you know segregation when those laws were put in place after jim crow that it was like quick change we're like fast speedy change but that didn't happen you know with law and some people don't realize that in society they're not taught it um is that it takes a long time like the states even have to approve of the supreme court rulings into their own states like they have to implement the like supreme court ruling law in their states they can like even say no we're not gonna a this law and it's not going to be in our state and people don't realize that state has so much power and that yeah it's good that we got segregation but it's going to take a long time for all the states to realize that law and to actually implement it in their own state um and I agree like sometimes I the after this book I did feel hopeful, but also like what I was saying with the ending. Um, I think that with her hope ending, I feel like she should have put like her interlude to her son like before it. And then like what Emily was saying to like the reconciliation in a different like earlier. Because I feel like that would have been a nice flow because that matches more with the hopefulness like being bringing in a new form of life in the world and her like saying that she hopes this and that first, and You know, I'm going to try the best as a parent um for her like you know him being a black son and then her also quoting tinashe's um coach's book too like between the world and me about his memoir to his son about being black in america that would just like paired perfectly but you know that's just my little criticism of the book <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I feel like sometimes people think like changes is going to come so swiftly, but it, it isn't. It takes a lot of time and it takes that one person to like stand up and and reach for change. And like being in college, I see that so often, even within our black community. Like, yeah, we have Black Student Union and all these organizations that are for like black people, like black students on campus, but they don't really like fight for black students like when administration is being wrong or like when professors are being wrong or they say some racist action (laughs) i'm sorry but like they don't stand up like we don't come together as a unit and stand up or if when we do it's always last minute it's like they just texted it in our group chat saying like hey just come with signs while we're in class and like come and protest. I'm like, what? You need media, you need coverage, you need a speech, you need a speaker there to like actually get some coverage and actually make change, but they didn't do that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so bad. And you want to talk about it. Like you talk a good talk, but you don't like do it. You don't walk the walk, you know? And it's kind of like doubtful.
3: I think Ava, I agree with you again. I think at like putting the interlude like right before the last chapter, the the like letter it was done would have been really effective because I think in that last chapter, she like when she quotes quotes, like it's this like, I, I think the like theme or the idea underlying like that is that like hoping in spite of like hopelessness or no sight of hope. And she even talks about this like cycle of like the death of, of hope and then like the renewal or like the rebirth of hope. And I think in her son, like, I was just like rereading it after you said that. And like, she, like she talks about the ways that like the world will see her son, but then she talks about like, the way that they will like choose to hope. And it's like, in our house, there will be dancing, there will be laughter, there will be love. And it talks about all the ways that like, like, like they will welcome like her son into a divine community of hope. And it's like the it's choice to hope in spite of the hopelessness or like the, the long journey ahead. And like one question that she asked at the end that I think is really interesting is like how dare I consider surrender simply because I want the warmth of the sun um and I think like Den what you were saying about how like you know like sometimes like the anger like that call to action isn't the like first emotion or like response that you're gonna have like realistically in life like like I think this idea of like surrendering to like the death the death of hope and the renewal of hope and like even though it is like a more mellow note, maybe I'm like a little more convinced that like this not just pragmatism, but like this this idea that that you like I I can't really like articulate it the way I want, but like in some ways you you have like a like a not peace. I don't know. I don't know if you guys like really understand what I'm saying, but like you surrender to what it is without losing, like, any of the, like, any of the, like, any of the emotions, like, that are in the spectrum of, like, anger or whatever, but then, yeah, like, it's, I don't know, it's just, like, very, it, it is, like, very human, and I think, yeah, like, the way, I think, I don't know, I think, like, like, like Ava was saying, I think putting that letter, like, really illustrates that in a real way, like, with, like, bringing her son into the world, like, because you can't not have hope in a way like, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I, in terms of to your question of hope, I am hopeful, partly because the protest, as you said, was interest, you know, you see movement, it was a lot relatable because it was very recent. But when I realized, oh, no, this is like a, a shift in tide is when other countries are removed from the history of America you know, slavery has always been around the world in every sort of culture. I think the U.S., I think is unique because they made it into a color, a race and what have you. You know, it was servitude. It started in many countries in servitude. But when I saw a lot of the protests in other countries, then I was like, wow, it, ha- it the world is, it's a historical moment in history of the world that something has to change. You cannot come out of this and." go back to status quo, just because of the visibility that it had. So yeah, I'm very hopeful and like look, the generations, the age range here, the cultural mix here, um, the conversations I've had with people that I would never bring this up. Even for me as a comfort of talking about it yesterday, we had a black employees happy hour and to even feel like you can have that conversation. Um, it like, it wouldn't, I don't think, You can't, yeah, we stepped somewhere. We, we, a line was there and we crossed that line. I don't know how many lines we have to move further to get to, you know, complete equality uh, or justice is the word I think. I think human nature, there's always gonna be somebody not equal, you know what I mean? Like just by the nature, I I really, I'm very hopeful.
0: I know, it's like, um, I forget there was, what was I watching? Maybe it was the 13th Amendment again. No, it was a comedian. Is it Sam Jay? Um, I think she's on Netflix. She did. Yeah.
4: The one from Boston. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, that, that lady. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. she's, um, I that. yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> but she was, she was talking about ironically of no, of not having hope of like, if it's the end of the world, what is it that you guys know that you're not telling me? Like, why are you preparing to like survive? Like, she's like, no, like if she was like cast away on the island, she'd be like, nope, well, that's done. There's no need to have hope. I'm done, you know, forget about it. Um, but fortunately for us, you know, in all seriousness, we we do um, have hope, you know, and, and prayerfully, you know, The the goal is to promote that hope, to get that help, to think about not just, like you said, small wins, you know, not thinking about the doom and gloom of everything on our shoulders, but taking one step at a time and realizing I can get through this moment, this day, this week, you know, like, you know, small wins um, to have that impact on hope, to have that hope within yourself. people are still like we say people are still having kids you know so you're bringing these humans into the world so you're hoping that they would have a fair shot at life and justice so even before you get to like the reconciliation you want you don't even want your child to go through something that needs to be reconciled you want them to be treated with justice and equality from the very beginning so that's my hope for you denisha i love you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and Ava, I know you feel the same, Millette and Emily, that your parents always want the best for you. That, like, you have things better than the way that they had it. So,
1: you know, I wish that made me think like, I wish mom, I wish that your sister like read this book and was like in this chat with us because like kind of this conversation made me also think about how I mean, I know she was a kid when you guys moved from Ohio to Boston, but that's like a shift of like um of like country, not country, just out of the city to the city where like now there's like technically a multicultural city. Um and then you went to school in the suburbs with all like the white people and then she went to um, you know, Just a fancy public school with still with other black students, and then like the difference, and then college. Like you went to a college uh, in the city, um, like you went to a local college, a commuter college, but then she went to Georgia and like went to go live her like blackety black life in an HBCU, (laughs) and it's like I feel like I'm kind like maybe we can ask her like outside of this, but Mm -hmm. I just wonder. Like I feel like for the rest of us, like like kind of when we talked about a while ago, like the first few chapters of the book, mm-hmm. um, like cause how because how like Austin was saying like oh when she went to visit her mom it'd be like she'd hang with all these black people and then like she'd visit her dad and like not as much but then and then like we were kind of talking about how like when we went to college or like all those things you know like we find our like ethnic friends who like we fit in with and I feel like it must be different for your sister and I know her school is different from mine because her school had more black people which is a little more in the city like latin academy you know it's a little more you know surrounded by black folk has a lot of black students a lot of black and asian students a lot more city folk and then she went to like an hbcu you know and it's so interesting because then i went to the school and then i mean i went to my other school which had like a lot of like just black and hispanic kids but then i went to college which just had like a bunch of white kids that i didn't hang out with you know so it's like that I feel I just I just had that thought that like she must have had like such a different like experience because it's not just like like me going to like the black student union she just went to like a black school
0: <laughs> <laughs> she just went to the student union and you went to the black student union <laughs>
2: uh, yeah
0: I mean well yeah and when you think yeah. about it that way. In some parts, I think her education was very similar to yours, where she was really just a baby when we moved to Boston. So it's almost like you both grew up in Boston, having that, you know, Well, I guess you guys didn't both have the same high school experience of a predominantly black school. But like you said, you started off in a predominantly black school, and that's really all you knew. And that was surprising for me to hear. Um, I never looked at it that way of you grew up elementary school surrounded by black and brown and, and Asian students, and you didn't really have to interact with white people that often until you went to high school. And then suddenly you're like immersed with, you know, all of these white people around you and different cliques and cultures and studying and all that stuff. Um,
4: yeah, I mean, I came from Africa where everyone in my school was black, you know, African. And then we went to a, I did go for like three semester to Brighton High, which was in- White. Right? Yeah, it was mixed. It was a little, like you had a lot of Hispanic yeah, it was pretty. But then I remember, just I never everything was new. So it was, you know, like whether you're black, white, any, everyone was new. It didn't matter like the skin color because the relation to people was different. Yeah, and I went to after that. I, I went to a private school with six kids. My class was six students.
0: Very predominantly like, no, white. A very was, like control but, environment. Yeah
4: which i think i liked in many ways because it was small like the world just wasn't overwhelming in many ways now and more and more i've like looked back because i just went through like i didn't have any of this do i belong i don't belong i just knew you had to come we had to like there was no time to like discover my feelings about xyz Mm. you just you, you, this is something we had to do. And you just went through what you had to go through. For me, it was getting the grades or mm-hmm. for the, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just focused. I knew I was different. My parents didn't come to any of the games. I didn't get picked up or dropped off. I took the train. So there was always like, you knew there were certain things that were different, but that, that yeah, that's fine. This is what my life was. I wasn't going to compare it in relation to X, Y, Z so yeah I, maybe it's generational like we just did really internalize things. survival instinct of just i don't want to say coasting through because i don't think i coasted through but it was trivial like for me to assess do i belong i don't belong was going to determine I'm, I'm here so i have to make it whatever make it was for a kid of that age a teacher. You had to
0: have black dignity in a world made for whiteness, no matter what.
4: Oh, well, but that's like, that's actually a very, like for us, well, I should say, for me coming from Africa, like that, the world was not made for whiteness.
0: See, yeah, and see, that's a totally different perspective. I, yeah, yeah.
4: Correct. Right. Yeah, I never thought for one minute that the world belonged to other. Like I'm present on this earth, it is my world. Like, just because it's the same thing with wealthy and poor just because you're wealthy doesn't mean i i don't have a right to exist
2: mm-hmm.
4: as a poor you know what i mean like so i never it is we did michelle and i were up to 3am talking about this because m- my foundation and being raised in ethiopia and, or in africa was i the world is mine too mm-hmm. yes there's the haves and the have-nots but so yeah i don't know i didn't You know, I always have this other side of perspective for me because, like the, yeah, black, yeah, there's a whole continent for me. (laughs) You know what I mean? How I see it in my, in my head, that there is a world, made for, or I don't even know if it's made for us. We are, we are us. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The title is always interesting to me, and I, I know part of it for my sister when she made the decision to bring the kids back. Ethiopia and that was her thought process I want them to live in a world where they don't have to like get reprogrammed to think that the world is made for whiteness Mm -hmm. does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, it makes total sense I don't know I don't agree that the world they took it but doesn't mean that (laughs) (laughs) they took this portion of the world I don't know yeah I really we have to have a, a long debate about this because I don't want to subscribe to that thought process because I don't believe it to be true.
0: Yeah. And yeah, it goes back to the system that was created of slavery and how it was instilled and beat into the minds that this is the white man's territory. This is the white man's world. And the blacks were here to provide free labor for them, you know, Mm -hmm. and the loss of that labor was an economic you know detriment to them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all like the whole systemic racism it just you know regurgitates itself
4: um, all right so say, like the title i would prefer black dignity in a world and a black dignity in this world i would just end it there <laughs> the made for whiteness bottle <laughs> why does my dignity have to be in relation to something why can't i just have i have black
1: dignity i was gonna say i think her title reflects like her her book and her experiences yeah yeah
4: yeah you know i know yeah and i
1: think it's i i think it is interesting because like you know because if you have that different experience so then like especially like for austin it's like the world that she grew up yeah. in which is like her personal you know like experiences in which she's like really figured out that this like those systems in america mm-hmm. are like systems that are like definitely like made to assist you know white people um mm-hmm. yeah so i feel like i really like i feel like her title i i liked it it's like it's like uh you know when you like click like some clickbait titles yeah and then like you decide at the end of the article does this title really fit what they wrote um I feel like her title was like you know a pretty accurate representation like after you read her words you're like okay this title fits what she wrote like it's not like clickbait but it is just enough to like make people like think Like if white people say like, oh, what book are you reading? And you're like, oh, I'm reading I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Then like white people get like a little bit like, no, like, no, like, (laughs) and then it's like, oh, but like you need to realize what systematic things have been put in place that create this world easier for you, so.
0: Or you could say, I'm reading I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. You should read it too. And then they find out.
4: I tried that yeah I'd like to to your point I agree with you Denisha. it it made a difference like uh, black dignity made in a a world of whiteness that is it right Mm. because even if yes I have Ethiopian experience and I do have black dignity respect irrespective of white world or whatever in America having grown up here for over 30 years yes that and now I am in that world, right? It is in America's made for the systemic reasons that created the world for white, for people of color. Like it's a struggle. So I fit into that. But my dignity, I think, I feel like it originated in a continent that, that it is it's Black dignity, period. Yeah. But now I live in America, I grew up in America. So yet yeah, that part of the title applies wholeheartedly. I, I always have this conflict, I'll always continue okay. to have this conflict. No matter, I, you know, but that's it, like, yeah, it is, but that's the uniqueness of each of us. So how is it
0: that a mother, daughter, and their friends started a book club together?
1: So we watched, so what was it? Oh yeah, because we saw that Benet Brown was gonna have an Instagram live. And so then we were like, yeah, we're gonna watch Benet Brown Instagram live with this lady during lunchtime. And the lady was Austin. And then after the Instagram Live, we were like, oh my God, this lady is so articulate and smart and we liked her ideas. And then she said that she had a book and we were like, oh my God, let's read her book. <laughs> and, <that's>
0: how- <laughs> and then this is the faithful crew that actually read the book. Read
2: the book.
4: <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, joining a book club was on my bucket list. And I remember me was like, why do not you create one? I'm like, I don't know how to. she <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here to join and like set it up. Because to your point, like most people don't show up. But I like reading books, but I also like talking about things.
2: I
3: like
4: yeah. debate. Mm-hmm. I like-
2: yes. It also helps you understand the book in more depth and get different perspectives too than just your own. I yeah,
4: agree. I love-
0: yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm and I must say also I'm a bit jealous of um, Ava and Emily who has the hard copy. I don't know if you do too, Millette, but no, I had to like, yeah, I just had the audible, so I would rewind <laughs> and stuff. But you guys actually could be like on this page and read what it says. I would have to like rewind and listen to it.
2: Emily, show
3: her your book. Show her your book. I can't all your yeah, stories. I was English major, so this is like my favorite thing to do. Wow. Wow!
4: Well. Wow, Emily, that's impressive. Can I ask a question, because I've been reading a bit more. Like I alternate topics because this is heavy in many mm-hmm. ways, right? especially for when you start visualizing it. So I try to alternate. Like I do a lot of Buddhist, real life, nonfiction stuff. But I don't know how are you guys managing if you keep reading all these books on certain topics, because this is I don't know if I can do consecutive social justice related books
1: oh i can't so because actually i started reading another book um like a long time ago the book was called small great things um by Jol- jody picot
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: so i started reading it and then it was kind of heavy and I I was listening to audiobook too, and I love audiobooks because it makes me it helps me understand. And this audiobook has um an ensemble cast, so it has three different readers for each different part of the book, and it just made it feel so much more real. But then obviously, since it's heavy, it felt so much more real. And then I like couldn't read a book for like two weeks after this book. <laughs> so I take a break from heavy books, and sometimes I read like Nice books, or sometimes I read heavy books with a nicer medium. Um, As in, like I read this comic. It was a it was a graphic novel, actually, graphic novel that was just depicting like the story of like leading up to like Tiananmen Square in China, and you know that's a very depressing story. But the visual comic format was like a little bit like i wasn't listening to anything and so i kind of like read through it or sometimes i just straight up like read comics like (laughs) like 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 romantic comics or like marvel comics or like just something that's like a little break
2: it doesn't hurt your brain
1: yeah 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 well it hurts my heart my brain's okay (laughs)
4: <laughs> I think that's the means of keeping Hope alive is to take that break. Because you can't process. Because we do have to look in the real world still, right? I was curious because now I'm like, okay, I might need a break. That one and then the other one is um their eyes were watching God.
2: Oh, I have that book by zeal or Neil
4: yeah. But the art and how they use word, like there's an art in how they write. And that's yeah. Mm-hmm. despite the topic being very heavy, the the way yeah. they paint, it's like a, you know, a Renaissance artist. Yeah. I
1: read that book in high school. And then after we read it, we watched the movie. Oh, there's a movie? So the only, yes. yeah. For their Eyes of Watching God is directed by Oprah. The only thing I really remember about that Book slash movie is I don't know if we finished it, but when she like runs up with that guy and then that dog with rabies. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> because when you watch the movie and you're like, oh my god, he has rabies now. The <laughs> lover has rabies. My and god. Like, oh wait! Don't tell
4: me
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my then god! Read
4: the book. The classics are really well written. Like you, yeah. I want to see, the, I, I prefer reading first before watching a movie. Yeah. And I don't think movies, I have an opinion about movies don't always do justice of written literally. Oh, they don't,
1: yeah. Oh, you guys should also, if you guys want, want like good books between books, like I think sometimes um, memoirs by comedians are sometimes good books between books. Um, because it is because it's not like i mean not that like like people can't read fiction but they're not fiction books but since they're written by comedians they're also written in a very like relaxing way like even if they tell crazy stories
4: but comedy is out of tra- tragedy right there's humor and yeah you know, the
1: good and- yeah it's, so you, you should know. actually read some of those books because all right they're funny but they're also real so and yeah. and I think because the three of them, it's like those those three books that I read, like it's a Black woman comedian, an Asian American woman comedian, and an Asian American male comedian. Um, All of their stories also still have like a hint of like, I'm trying to work hard because these white people like da-da-da-da-da, you know.
0: (laughs) You could do poetry too.
2: Okay. I love poetry. And Emily, I'm
0: super proud of too. She's read so many books. Like, well, that's like your life. Like, you love it. Writing and stuff, right? Yeah,
1: Emily was. Oh,
4: So cool.
0: Got <laughs> a wide range of. Give me like
4: little books, little page books so I can just meet my metrics. <laughs>
0: pamphlets.
4: I know pamphlets.
0: <laughs> well, Thank you, ladies, all for joining me today and having (laughs) this conversation, you know. Um, But yeah, no, really, seriously, thank you, you know, every one of you for joining me in this conversation of um, Austin Channing Brown's book, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Um, Because we really did bring a lot of different perspective to it, you know, like we said, from generations X, Y, and Z. But bringing those perspectives to understanding the book understanding the hope we all have for a future of racial you know justice and Whether we want to say reconciliation or not, but a hope for the future, you know that things will continue to get better that more people are going to join this fight and um, that our children or our children's children <laughs> will have a different you know experience with race going forward here in america so I that's just it i just want to say thank you <laughs>